we're going to launch into a really cool part of Scripture in Thessalonians. And so I am not a guy that likes to teach on the end times, okay, just to tell you from a pastor's perspective. And that comes out of years of experience with weird people, okay? I've, and I've, I've over the years in the body of Christ, I've met the weirdest people that have obsessions about end times. And they, that's all they talk about. It's like, it's like where, and, and it, it's all about the end times and figuring it out and blah, 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 and they need this and they need this and this is what, and, and, I'm just, and, I, and I've looked at them over the years and I'm like, you know, what happened to them? Like, why did they, why did they weird out like this? And, and they lose their passion to see people come to Jesus. They, it seems like they become loveless. And they, and they develop these real deep convictions about end times. And that's all it seems like their spiritual focus is. And so as a young Christian, I just sort of distanced myself from those people because they were just too weird. Have you ever met a guy or girl like that? Ever? Okay, I'm just being candid, okay? I'm just being honest, all right? And so... I ended up, when I was an undergraduate, taking a course in eschatology, and, and I really enjoyed it. I have deep respect for the professor uh, had in seminary, had end-time uh, eschatology courses. But what you, what you find in the New Testament, particularly in the writing of the Thess to the Thessalonians, are people that, that had the promise of Jesus that, hey, I'm going to come back for you. And, it, and it's almost like, you know, your, your spouse or your friend left to go to the store to pick up some milk, bread or eggs or whatever it is they pick up, and you're like, okay, they're coming back soon. That was the kind of expectancy in the early church. Like, this Jesus who just walked this earth, was with the disciples, rose from the dead, said he's coming back. I mean, he went, he flew to the cloud. Remember that? I mean, he disappeared in the cloud. This, this amazing body, you know, rose, ascended into heaven. But he wasn't coming back yet. And he wasn't back. And then they, they had this problem is that their loved ones started to die. And they're putting them in the ground and they're having a theological problem. What happens to those that die? We're waiting we're waiting. He's coming back. He said he's coming back. What about, we're, we're burying. My, my mom died. My brother, my sister died. What the heck am I supposed to do? What, what, is, what does it mean for Jesus coming back? Because they're dead. It, he's coming back for the living, right? And so the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and says, here, let me help you understand what's going to happen. And in chapter 4, starting in verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so that we believe that God will bring Jesus with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Again, that's a euphemism for death. Um, 
For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever, goes on in chapter 5. Again, chapters and verses were added later, and, and they weren't with the original writing. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Some of you are going, you've never met my uncle. Just kidding. Um, but, we, but we belong to the day. Let us be sober. Put on faith and love as a breastplate of righteous, uh, a breastplate of hope and of salvation. As a, so I'm going to read that again. Put on, put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I just want to point out some things to notice. The first thing is this. God's hope is more than a wish. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep, that is, sleep in death, it says, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Hope in the Bible is substantive. It's more than a wish. It's like a deposit. It's something you hold on to. I mean, you, you have to grab this. It's not like, oh, I wish when my relatives die they'll be with the Lord. Oh, it's just this this fancy wish. No, it's a substantive hope. It's got a weight to it. There's a degree of certainty to biblical hope. And so you and I, when we put our loved ones in the ground, or boxes, or ashes, or any of those things, maybe I should comment on that, because some people asked me recently about cremation. The, the, we have this, we have this hope from God that we don't grieve as someone who has no hope. There, there is this sense that those who trust in Christ, our loved ones, are going to be with the Lord. And you know, the good news and the bad news is this. The good news for all, uh, the bad news here for all of us is there's a one-to-one -one ratio. Everybody who was born is going to die. Did you know that? Amen. You know, remember Oprah said, you got a car, you got a car. Remember that one? Well, I can go, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're, you're going you're gonna to die. Did you know that? Point it to me. Every one of us. 
And that's not a, psychological, I don't know if you knew this, I was reading that our brains are designed to distance us from that reality. Like we have something in our brains that are hardwired to say, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Isn't that weird? But you feel it, don't you? When I say you're going to, you're like, no, no. Talk to a young person, <laughs> they have, yeah, I'll jump off anything. I remember my son went on this hiking trip before he was 26. At 26, the amygdala in the male and probably female brain is fully formed. The amygdala is the part of the brain that connects the choices we make with the consequences, okay? So before 26, good luck talking to your teenager. Anyway, um, but my son and, and his, I think I don't know if his fiance or girlfriend or his whatever, but he was, he, he was before the amygdala was fully formed. He was on this hiking trip in the, in the Smoky Mountains, and he saw this waterfall down to a hole, and he throws off his backpack and jumps off the cliff into it. And I'm like, didn't you go down and see how deep it was? No. And he survived. But he survived because a loving God had a plan for his life besides becoming, you know, three feet, you know, deep because he jumped into a pond that was only three feet or something. I mean, I, you, it's like, you know, you, you, they tell you these stories, you go, what were you thinking? You know, and they, they, they weren't. They were just thinking, oh, that would be lovely to jump off there and to feel the water. And, but they weren't thinking, what if it wasn't deep? What if there's a rock? What if they're, you know? So by the grace of God, God had more plans for him. He is still living and helping others and married and has many children. And, and what, we, what we need to grab onto when we talk about hope, and, and, and I'll, I'll just tell you this. You know, some people say, well, you know, uh, cremation is not a Christian practice. The Christian practice was more putting the body in the ground and uh, okay, fine, you know, if the Old Testament practice was putting them in some kind of cave and they would let the body decay, they would then take the bones, they'd put them in jars, and they would like hang on to Abraham. You know, they would hang on to these bones and, and, and uh, you call them ossuaries. And Jesus' time was similar. They went into a cave, they let the body decay, probably collected the bones, put them in jars. Other times, though, you'll see Christians put the bodies into the ground. Then, uh, so a lot of Christians were against cremation because burning, burning was something done more in the East. And some of the religions felt like you needed to burn the body to release the spirit, you know, and Christians shouldn't burn bodies. And, and, and they say, well, then should Christians practice cremation because you're, it's a, started in a, more of a pagan culture and, and, and what happens and when the body's resurrected and I think, well, you know what, most bodies aren't around anymore. If you typically put a body in the ground after a while, even the bones and everything will decompose and, and, and rot. And, and um, Christians, have, uh, Christians have been burned. If you go back to the early Christians, Nero used to put tar on Christians, put them on poles, and he used him, them to light his parties. Nasty, but those Christians were cremated. You know, there are those that were died at sea. It's very possible that somebody ate bits of little Billy because got eaten by a fish that got put on your plate. I mean, let's just, all right, I'm being weird, but it's true. I mean, this is, 
This is, this is the, the nature of this. So people, you know, dead at sea. And so you'll see these passages where it says the dead in Christ will rise. It calls them out of the seas, calls them from the ground. That, that, that when we have the resurrection, there is going to be a recreation. You know, from dust he formed us. And from dust form us again and so we don't grieve as someone who has no hope and I, and I say this very clearly because people get all sorts of fears about death and recreation and all this stuff we believe as Christians in a physical resurrection not just in a spiritual resurrection we believe that when we die our spirits go to be with Jesus and our bodies stay in the earth whether they're ashes, whether they're buried and decomposing, they, the body stays here, the spirit goes to be with the Lord. But when Jesus comes back, and we read about this, it says we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And here's what the apostle Paul does. He, he doesn't just stay there with, with this hope passage, but he says this, there is a content to what we believe. So it's not just like, oh, I believe that, you know, everybody dies and everybody goes to heaven. And, and, and there are Christians who will be what, what is called universalists. They believe that everybody's saved. Did you know that? Did you know that? So, but the Apostle Paul, he says, so here is a little bit of what we're talking about. We're talking about people that have hope, but they don't just, it's not just hope in some eternity it says for we believe that jesus died and rose again so we believe that god will bring with jesus those who have fallen asleep where in him in christ that means that there are some that can fall asleep not in him not in christ he is offering hope but it's a provisional hope it's a hope for those who trust in Christ. There are people that would say that when Christ died on the cross, he only died for the elect, those special chosen ones. He didn't die for the sins of the whole world. Did you know that? I don't know your theological understanding. But then when you read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I think the best way to understand the death of Christ, the atonement, as they talk about in theology, is to say this. It's to say that he died for the sins of the whole world. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is saved. It's very much as if, say, you won the lottery... But you don't get the money unless you have the winning ticket. Do you think about that? And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, guess what we get? The winning ticket that we can redeem because of the death of Christ on the cross. So it's like there's a check written for us that all you got to do is cash it. And that 
faith we have is cashing that check. For we believe, he's giving Christian hope, okay? What you believe matters. For we believe that Christ died and rose again. So, that be, so we believe that God will bring, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in him. Very important, very important. Why am I not a universalist? I love the idea of universalism, okay? I love the idea that free pass for everybody. I mean, who doesn't love it? Okay, let's just be honest, right? But, I, but there are some passages in the Bible that, that hinder me from becoming a universalist. Some of those are the words of Jesus, who constantly warn people about the future and judgment, okay? And people will talk about, oh, well, Gehenna was this burning dump, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? Jesus over and over warned them. And so what, what is the warning? Oh, it, it's, it's like if you uh, told your kids, you know, if you do that, you're going to have punished. You're going to get, you know, disciplined. You lose your privileges. We'll take your, you know, now it's a we'll take your phone or tablet away. <clears throat> you know, back in my day, it was like bend over and get one. And um, here, you can have my tablet, no problem. I'm sorry, it's the truth. You're not allowed to do that anymore. But I'd have given up a phone any day. Um, the, the, reality, the reality is, is that, is that we have warning passages in the scriptures. And if those warnings don't have a consequence, why are they there? If the very Son of God understood something, then why are they there? So those of you who want to nix hell or not talk about judgment or whatever it is, you have to deal with the warning passages in Scripture. And um, that's just the way it is. And we'll, we'll get there again. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is this day. And the day of the Lord start, starts being talked about in the Old Testament. For the day of the Lord is a period in time in the future when the Lord will intervene in the events of this earth to consummate his redemption and his judgment. So what you need to know is when we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about, we talk about how, God, how Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. When he comes again, he's going to consummate the kingdom. And that we live in the age of the overlap. The kingdom is both now and not yet. Can you understand that? So in the Old Testament, and, I, and I, if those that like to take notes, I just threw up a bunch of passages that talk about the day of the Lord. One in Isaiah 13, 6 to 13, I just thought I would read this real happy passage for us here. And uh, it says this, and when I say happy, I'm being facetious. It says, wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened. The moon will will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty. I will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gold of the offer. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, then the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. 
Wow. There's a happy moment, huh? So, the Apostle Paul, there, you can also see, and I only read, I read you a negative one, okay? There are positive Day of the Lord passages too, okay? And the hope and the joy and, and you know, no, no more tears and that, that kind of passage. So the Apostle Paul is, is, is preaching and bringing a word to a church where people are dying. He's giving them content for their faith. And, he, and he's, saying, he's saying that, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come on you like a thief in the night. And that's very much what like this passage said. And one of the reasons I favor a one-and-done end-time view or eschatology is that if we believe that God can come, Jesus can come any day, if he can truly come like a thief in the night, then then we have to have a a, a view of end times that doesn't have such an elaborate scheme and plan. Like, no, he can't come because uh, this person hasn't been revealed. Uh, we're, not, we're not living in this kind of thing. And, this, you know, and I'm just like, wait a second. Either he can come now or he can't. Because if your system says all this stuff has to happen and then he can come, then can he come like a thief in the night? And so I favor... Uh, a one-and-done kind of eschatology where he can come at any time. And, and here's the thing, because I do think when you read about end times, the times are going to get tough, the times are going to get worse. But, church, study your history. Read about the, uh, the persecution under the different Roman emperors and narrow burning Christians at the stake and, and realize this. I remember years ago I read an old book called Fox's Book of Martyrs and it was, about, it was, a, it was written about martyrs in the church. And then, I, and then I read an addendum to it where it was another book of, about martyrs and they said more people have been martyred in the 20th century than the history of the church. That we live in a time of great persecution. People are being killed for their faith in the Middle East. People are being killed for their faith in in China. People are being um, killed for their faith in parts of Asia. Christians are being um, killed in in Egypt. They're being being, um, killed in, in Iran. I mean, it's martyrdom on a wide scale is happening today. Northern Nigeria. People, because they're naming the name of Jesus, are dying for their faith. And we, we live in a country where it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I think I'm going to fellowship with Brother Sheets and Sister Pillow. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll flip it off. I, I can do it any time. And you have believers that are gathering in homes that get raided. They get put in jail. The churches, Catholic, Protestant, and parts of the country are getting burned and bombed and shot because they name the name of Jesus. And you go, oh, well, Christ can't come anytime because we're not experiencing all this persecution. We're not experiencing some of the end time uh, destruction and terror that was talked about. I'm just like, well, it depends on where you live. Because if we place you in the right place, your position might change on that. Sorry for the happy sermon. Um, 
passage goes on. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, certainly, Lord, I'll go this side. I can read it better. Uh, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come from heaven with a loud command. So the cool thing is the guys that die, they're going to go, and then we, it's almost simultaneous, boom, we'll be caught up together. And that, to me, is the coolest thing. For those of us who are living then, the Bible says that we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We won't taste death. Like, that's the coolest thing. Whoever those people are, that's like the party. You know, they get their new bodies. They change. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise, after that we who are still alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And the picture here, and the, the word rapture is, is in this passage, this idea that we go up to meet the dignitary and we come down to be with him. That was the idea, that you went out of the city and you greeted the dignitary, you greeted the king, you greeted that person that was coming, and then you paraded with them back in, almost like the triumphal entry, if you remember that. We celebrate on Palm Sunday. So when Christ comes, the dead will go to greet him, we will get caught up, greet him, and then we will come and there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, new Jerusalem, new bodies, we'll live under his rule and reign, amazing amazing that's the gift that god's talking about and i'm going to wrap this pup up because i just saw that time is late um i i want you to know something you back in 418 and 511 every one of these little bits that the apostle paul talked about do you know he ended it with he said encourage one another with these words encourage one another see god's hope brings courage it brings encouragement so picture for a minute, you know, one of those very sad, terrible occasions where someone has died. And the Apostle Paul says, and, and, and again, when someone's grieving, you don't bring this word too early, okay? Because we grieve because we love these people. We love having them on the planet. Our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our uncles, our, our relatives. We love their very presence. And so when someone's grieving, don't, don't, chapter and verse them right away just hug them just like jesus did you know he cried when his friend lazarus died but after that initial phase wears off we encourage each other with the words of jesus we don't grieve as people without hope we have hope it's a substance it's, it's a deposit because we trust that the God who died on the cross for our sins went to the grave, the same Jesus that rose again, and that he died for our sins. And he, the, worst, the worst thing that can happen to you and I is what? Is what? What's the worst thing I can do to you or you to me? What? Say it, church. You can what? Oh, thank you. Isn't that a nice picture? She wants to kill me. Yes, we can, that's the, you can take someone's life, right? That's the worst thing. But the amazing thing of the gospel 
is that Jesus gives us a deposit, a hope that's greater than death. That has enabled Christians throughout the years to look death in the face, look martyrdom in the face, and say, you may take my life, but you can't take my life. Because you can kill this body, but you will never kill my spirit. And someday, I'm going to come back and look you in the eye. And that's why, you know, the Sadducees, you know that's why they were sad? See, the Pharisees believed that there would be a general resurrection. So if, if Ted over here shot me, I'm going to someday have to rise up and go, hey, you did it, buddy. You know, you did it. Now you get to face judgment, okay? The Sadducees didn't believe any, in any resurrection. They believed you'd just be dust, and, and that's why they were sad. But if there's a resurrection and there's a judgment, then there's going to be justice. And there's going to be consequences. And everything will make sense. So um, why don't we stand up and, and just pray? It's a little bit of theology today, and I, I, just, I just want you all, all, to walk away from today with, this, with a greater sense of the hope that we have in Christ. And I want to just end this message to say, if you've never trusted in Jesus, you know, if you've never believed that he died on the cross for your sin, if you never believed that he, it's not just something that happened in history, but something that happens today, that we get to engage with the true Savior of the world, that he comes and he dwells and he lives among us. He offers a relationship with us. Today is that day, and you can do it, whether you're watching online now live or you're watching later, whether you're standing here. If you've never engaged in a personal relationship with Jesus, that's the promise that he gives us. And so let's just pray together. Father, I just want to start for those that maybe have never prayed to receive you. And they don't have that hope. They don't have the substantive trust that if they die, they're going to be with you. They're going to see you. There will be joy that is unspeakable in your presence. And I pray you'd give them the grace to say, yes, forgive me, Jesus, of my sins. I want a relationship with you. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I want to have that hope, that deposit, that, that guarantee that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. I want to have that hope. I want to know you. And guys, I, I pray some of you prayed that prayer for the very first time. And, and the Lord is starting to fill you right now. And he's encouraging you to get to church, open up his word, read one of the gospels. Just start that relationship. And then I was thinking of that picture I had where we were worshiping of the tree that was weeping and then the weeping of Jesus and that some of you guys are still going through grief, you know? Grief is a real thing and it's sad. It's sad. And we can, we can allow ourselves to grieve. One of my prayers for people that are grieving is that God would give them the grace to grieve well. Grieve well. but you wouldn't grieve as someone that doesn't have hope. And so, Lord, I pray for all those today that are grieving. The loss of a loved one. And I pray that you would let them experience your comfort. 
and your joy. In Christ's name.